0: Tea Tales, Childhood Games in the 1960s. Today I'm taken back to the game seasons that we enjoyed. Modern children may not experience the simple pleasures that we had, and I suppose necessity was definitely the mother of invention. I think we thought our games and experiences were unique to our schools and neighbourhoods, but I'm sure they were fairly universal. At various times throughout the school year there were quite definite seasons for games that we could play on the tarmac playground. The lack of space didn't seem to be a problem and in the warmer months cricket was played with wickets chalked on the caretaker's house or the back wall near the toilet blocks. The slope added to the local challenge. Winter would see soccer as the chief boys sport but the girls seemed occupied with a variety of games such as skipping, hopscotch, cat's cradle and handstands against the walls. The thought of skull fractures didn't seem to worry anyone in the 1960s. Nowadays, health and safety would have put an end to it. On frosty days, we made ice slides, and with the polishing of many feet on the ice, these could be whipped up to high-speed slides that allowed trains of children to hurtle down the ice and often ended in pile-ups. We would start these from the moment we arrived at school, and if we were lucky they'd still be there at morning break time for us to continue. Adult concerns sometimes led to ashes being spread to prevent further use and accidents. The killjoys. I have a recollection of being able to slide from the top of the yard all the way down to the far wall near the bogs. The ecstasy of balancing, rugged up in scarf and hat, running pell-mell and then gliding arms akimbo, has stayed with me all my life. Those boys and girls who could show their prowess had real kudos, and the younger children would watch, idolise and aim to achieve such greatness. Even some teachers seemed to watch on with admiration, and occasionally the young staff even had a go. Sliding on the ice and general soccer and playing could destroy shoes in next to no time. With Hare Hills County Primary only having a tarmac playground, my mother always bought me tough shoes, as they came with a six-month, no-quibble guarantee. Because of the way I, and most of the children, played on the tarmac, they never lasted above five or six weeks, and each time a hole appeared, we went back and got a new pair. This went on for several years before they decided they would only exchange them once. I also remember having soaking wet feet in winter due to the holes and the hot pipes in the classrooms were a smelly, steaming array of socks, gloves and scarves. We quickly learned the dangers of putting frozen hands on the pipes as Chilblains, agonising stimulation of the nerves would result. I never had good circulation and my brother and I have hands that seize up in cold weather. I remember one specific morning when the playground was covered in thick snow. This was fairly uncommon, but on this occasion we made snowmen and built two forts with ice walls as bases. We made lots of snowballs, stored them behind the walls, and when ready, all hell was let loose as both sides attacked. No one was safe, and some snowballs became ice and really hurt if they hit you in the face. The ice melted a bit with all the heavy foot traffic, but enough remained for us to continue at morning break and was still there at lunch. One or two unwary children were hit in the face by the icy balls and there were some bloody mouths and tear-soaked faces. The wise learned to keep an eye out in the back of the head. It was glorious. Spring would arrive eventually and so did whip top season. For the uninitiated, a whipping top comprised a usually green wooden stick with a leather thong, the whip, and a wooden pinecone-shaped grooved top with a metal point. You would wrap the thong around the top and then, holding the top loosely, tug the whip back. This sent the top spinning and the knack was to keep the top spinning with repeated whips. It was a definite skill and some became masters. I was a player but not a leader in this. You could only purchase whip and tops during the season from the sweet shop directly across the zebra crossing outside school. When the season was on you had to get in early to avoid disappointment as demand could become huge. I suppose scores of children whipping away at the tops was probably quite a sight and also quite a danger but we all survived and some children became really good at keeping them spinning for long times. There were two other major seasons. In the autumn we had conkers. Conkers, the seeds of the horse chestnut tree, were beautiful, tactile nuts. Children went on expeditions to gather their stash for the season. Some had the old, faithful trees that they visited each year, whilst others sought pastures new for richer pickings. The Ladywood Church area was full of horse chestnut trees, But early plundering sometimes decimated my usual harvest, and a bike ride further afield became a necessity. When fully ripe, the nuts would fall from their green, mine-like spiky cases. They would just lie scattered beneath the large spreading trees, shiny, brown like polished eggs of wood. However, such occasions were rare, as someone would have already gathered the booty. On these occasions drastic action was called for and sticks would be thrown up at the conkers that could still be seen in the trees. When we were successful we would dart in, prize open the shell, examine the creamy white velvet soft inside and discover whether we had a beauty or not. I would experience the same excitement and anticipation as a Japanese pearl diver would as they opened the oyster shell to see if a pearl hid inside. Often my satchel would be full of the shiny tactile harvest and I would cycle home with joy, pride and contentment. Conkers is a very English pastime. A hole would be bored through the conker and a shoelace threaded through aglet first. A knot would then be tied and you were ready. Two children would present with their conkers to challenge each other to a duel to the death. One would suspend his or her conker and the other would position themselves to have a shot at it. This meant winding the lace or string around your finger, holding the conker and flicking it at the other. If you hit, you had another go. This would continue until you missed it. At this point, the opponent took their turn. The object was to knock your opponent's conker off their strings, or break it in two. In fact, there was the same chance of winning either holding your conker or being the shooter, but you never could tell. Sometimes bits would fly off, but as long as some remained on the lace, you were still in the game. Now anyone who was a conqueror would know that there were some not quite legal ways to skew things in your favour. The obvious one was the choice of conquer. Size may not matter in many things, but it did in the conquer world. Mass meant longevity, and a well-proportioned conquer could live to fight many battles before succumbing. Other tactics whispered behind hands in the corner of the yard or classroom involved soaking them in vinegar, drying them out or baking them. I've tried all of the above and some that I am sworn to secrecy about but I can't say that any really made much of a difference. The games often resulted in bruised hands and knuckles and numerous accusations of cheating. In those days you sorted out your own problems and teachers rarely intervened. I wish it had been so during my tenure as a headmaster, but alas, not to be. The other major season was marbles, and it was possible to have more than one marble season in some years. The craze helped supplement the local shops and there was a great run on marbles. Winners from previous years would have tins full that they'd won off luckless children whilst the novices sported small amounts of pristine marbles with crystal-clear glass outers. During the season, large numbers of small groups of children could be found huddled at their favourite spots in the yard. A hollow was used, and the object was to win all the marbles by striking opponents into the hollow. The rules were complex, and there was a range of calls and tactics that I can no longer remember. But to the winner, the spoils and you knew to avoid anyone with a large tin of marbles, as their skill was proven. Different sizes and coloured marbles had different names and values, but that has slipped my mind over the years. Someone may still own the wisdom and lore of the ancient game as played at Hare Hills County Primary School, and be prepared to re-enlighten us geriatric practitioners. Minor games were played such as Jack's, but again I don't have the same memories of these. What has come to me whilst I'm writing this is something that was popular with the boys, what would be outlawed today, collector's cards. There were two sorts of cards collected, probably these were different years, but there were the American Civil War cards and the Mars Attacks cards. The American Civil War ones were first, I think, and came with facsimile US dollars of the time. They even got on the news as some people thought they were authentic. The cards came with bobble gum, and they were truly the most violent and gruesome things I've ever seen. Impaling and bayoneting were graphically shown in the pictures, and children would collect great packs of them and swap them. Our parents didn't seem concerned, and cowboy films were all the rage. We always played cowboys and Indians and scalped any captives. Maybe our parents were right to be unconcerned, as we didn't grow up scalping and impaling. Or maybe they didn't know how we played. Cap guns and other weapons were commonplace, but I don't think we grew up to be any more violent than any other generation since. The second set of cards showed the invasion of Martians, and again the pictures were chilling with their ferocity and violence. I guess that some things have improved since then and I won't dwell on them any more. However, the Tim Burton film Mars Attacks is a very funny and entertaining film from 1996 but is clearly based on the cards and even features Tom Jones. There was a comment recently that reminded me of the Hare Hills County Primary song. I still remember the tune and we used to sing it at assemblies. The school motto was Aim High, and below is my recollection of the first verse. I hope it brings back some fond memories. Amidst the busy streets of Leeds, for years the school has stood. A symbol of the children's needs, rejoicing in their golden deeds. A power for doing good. So let us sing our song on high. Look up her hills, her hills aim high. If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested in knowing that there are two collections of them. The first, a cup of tea tales, the early years, and the second, another cup of tea. The teenage years. Both are available as paperback from Amazon and ebooks from Kindle.